You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Before we get into the show... I just want to go over a few things. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, check us out on Facebook under Millionaires Unveiled. And we have some new things on the website, uh, millionairesunveiled.com, as well as on Twitter. Also, we're closing on some deals in the multifamily space here shortly. And if you'd like to, uh, to talk with us about those, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. So today on the show, we have Corey, and Corey is in his early 50s with a net worth of $2.7 million. and 90% of that is invested in real estate, and most of his real estate is small multifamily investments ranging from two units to 13 units, and right now, Corey has 120 total units. He self-manages all of his properties. And his initial goal, he started after college as a financial advisor, and his initial goal was to buy one property a year for 10 years. And so we talk with him about that journey, how he was able to accomplish that goal, and now he has about a million dollars in rent revenue coming in a year. So without further ado, let's get into the show with Corey. Welcome to Millionaires and Veil. Today on the call, we've got Corey. Corey, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to? Uh, yes. Right now, I'm a financial advisor. got my own firm. It's an independent advisory practice. And then I also uh, started in real estate as a side hustle. And basically, the side hustle morphed into something that's bigger than my financial advisory practice. So, <clears throat> And what's your current net worth? Um, right now, it's sitting around a little over $2.7 And how is that broken up? Uh, probably about 90% real estate and I mainly invest in small multifamilies ranging in anywhere from two units all the way up to 13 units and I manage them all myself using a lot of technology to make my life easier. Okay. And what's and your... And the other 10% is basically cash and then I work with, uh, I'm a dimensional fund advisor. I don't know if your listeners probably haven't heard of them, but they are a firm that uh, basically was started by a couple of Nobel Prize winners, and they, I like to say they basically embrace the scientific approach to investing rather than the speculative approach, and you basically work with the market rather than against it. Gotcha. And how long have you been a uh, financial advisor? Um, let's see, probably since the early 90s. I remember when I took my Series 7. had to be around 93 or so. Okay. And how many units do you have now in real estate? Um, I'm up to, God, I always forget. But it's like around 120 or so, 120 doors. And how long have you been acquiring those? Um, I started in 1998 with a beat-up triplex. It was so awful, it made my uh, girlfriend cry when I told her we're going to live here and fix it up. <clears throat> and then from there, I just got the bug, and my goal was to buy 
one property a year over 10 years and I thought I'd be set. And after uh, I acquired 10 duplexes, I thought, huh, this is kind of fun. And then I decided the 10 exit. Gotcha. So let me back up a, a little bit, Corey. So did you come out of school and was your first job as a financial advisor? Yeah, I actually, it was kind of crazy. I actually was always an independent financial advisor. So I never worked for like a big firm. <clears throat> um, I got sponsored by smaller independent brokerage firms. And it was definitely a challenge because I didn't have a salary. It was 100% commissions. And then eventually I switched over to the advisory model. And so you've been doing that right out of college. That was your first job out of college. You just started your own financial advisory firm. Yep. I did spend about two years as uh, selling life insurance, which was, in my opinion, the worst job ever in the world. <laughs> but <clears throat> I graduated during a recession. And um, my dad was a big insurance guy. He's like, oh, go get your insurance license. And it's a great career. And I'm like, but I want to be a financial advisor. And he's just like, oh, well, this will make you a more well-rounded financial advisor. So I started off as an insurance agent. And then um, a recruiter called me one day and said, hey, this one firm called Roundhill Securities out of Alamo, California. They were looking for uh, advisors. And so I jumped, jumped aboard with them and pretty much uh, stuck, stuck it out. So... Gotcha. And then how long after you began working, did you buy your, your first property and, and what was it? Tell us about kind of how that got started. Let's see. I ended up uh, probably about five years. I ended up, uh, I was working out in California, building up my book of business. And then I moved back to my hometown here in Minnesota. And then after that, I got, uh, almost had to like reestablish my business. And so I would say maybe Let's see, moved back here in 94, let's say four years since I moved back. I started in 1998 with my first property. And where did that interest come from initially? Was it kind of through a network or, you know, you talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but just talk about that. Um, I don't know why, but I've always been fascinated by real estate, passive income and being an entrepreneur. And I remember um, back in California when I was going to college, uh, my roommate, her dad was uh, an almond farmer, and he was kind of like, a, in a way, like a mentor. I'd go out there, and we'd drink a beer in the almond groves there, and he would tell me about his farming and how it all worked and stuff. And he always, he'd always mention, say, Corey, wherever you live, make sure that you have a second income. So let's say you have a house. Instead of buying a house, buy a duplex, and then, you know, the duplex will pay for your mortgage. Or always have like, you know, real estate or something on the side so that if your business um, if it runs into a rough patch, you got a backup plan. So between the almond farmer and then a girl I dated in San Francisco whose dad was um, just a multimillionaire in, in real estate, those were kind of like my key mentors. So, And did you, did you take that advice and live in the first property that you purchased? Yep. So going back to uh, that first property it was a, a real beat up triplex. It was a for sale by owner and I was uh, hunting for deals at the time and it just made a lot of sense. You know, I called the guy who was a for sale by owner sign on the front and I ended up uh, acquiring that one for 5000 down 
with a uh, seller financing or contract for deed. That's what we call it here in Minnesota, where he carried a mortgage for 35 grand. And it was three units. And I lived in the middle unit, fixed up the other two, and then rented those out. And that's how I got started. And did you have that skill set to, to kind of maintain and fix things up? Or were you just learning on the go? No, I was definitely learning on the go. In fact, my girlfriend would criticize me. <laughs> She's like, you cannot fix anything. And I'm like, oh, I'll figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be that tough, right? <laughs> so so how long did the first tenants, tenants stay? I guess that's the next question. <laughs> well, fortunately, um, I discovered my weaknesses right away. So I ended up hiring like handymen to start helping me out in the rental. I mean, I could do the basic stuff, you know, paint, sure. sheet rock and stuff like that. But when it came to plumbing electrical and taking out walls, that definitely wasn't my forte. Gotcha. And how close now are, are all these properties that, that you own? Uh, fortunately, I got some other advice from another real estate investor. And he told me as I was building up my business, he basically said, Try to put all your properties in one single area. Kind of going back to that, it's a term our real estate agents use, which is they call it farming an area, like a neighborhood. Yeah, you become like the you know the go-to person in that neighborhood. So I ended up um, focusing on a, an area that was basically a mile or less from my house, and all my properties are literally, I'd say, two miles apart, except for one outlier that I bought on a whim. So, and how did you find each of those deals? Was was it all for sale by owner? Or did you work with a broker? Um, the beginning, I was working like the first one was a, that triplex was for sale by owner, and then I thought, oh, I'm gonna use a realtor because they know a lot, and that was my second property. And then after the realtor, I was kind of like disenchanted, going like, wow, this guy, these guys are just pretty much transaction based. And so after that, I really started hunting down deals. And being that I was in sales, being a financial advisor, I was pretty comfortable cold calling and sending letters out, knocking on doors. And so I'd literally drive through neighborhoods or bike through them or walk through them and just knock on doors or and ask people if they want to sell. And and how many sales came came <clears throat> that way versus seeing a listing? Out of my portfolio, easily eighty percent. Uh, my portfolio has never been on the market. So you just knock on the door, the owner would, would answer, and you'd start the process of talking to them about purchasing the property, and, and they were sometimes receptive to that. Yep. In fact, I remember one lady named Myrtle. She was awesome. This 83-year-old lady, she was managing this fourplex by herself, had owned it since the early 60s, and she was just, she was hardcore. I mean, here she is running, you know, four units, doing everything herself, hiring a couple of maintenance guys. And yeah, one day out of the blue, I contacted her, found her phone number, gave her a call. And she's like, oh, I'll never sell. And, and then I started sending her postcards and Christmas cards and birthday cards. And, <laughs> and then eventually, this is like went on for like two years. And I'm like, God, this lady's never going to sell. She's like 83. It's like she's crazy. And then one day out of the blue, she calls me around Christmas time. She goes, hey, I never got a Christmas card for you. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I just thought you were never going to sell and your property would go to your kids. She goes, no, I still want to sell. And I'm like, really? And she goes, I just don't know what to sell it for. I'm like, well, let's get an appraisal. 
And so we both agreed on the appraised price, and that's how I got that deal. So, wow, <clears throat> well, that's amazing. So just to recap here, so your net worth is about two point seven million, ninety percent of which is in real estate, and you have a total of about a hundred and twenty units. How come you stayed away from uh, single families? You know, I was is going back to the single source of income, which you know, if you got a single family, the tenant moves out, there goes all your rent. So I like the idea of having, you know, like a duplex, you have two sources of rent, typically one person moves out, you can still cover your mortgage. Sure, sure. And then going on the other side, how come you stayed with duplex and tries and smaller apartment buildings versus maybe a bigger apartment building? That's probably my biggest mistake. I think for some reason I had it in my brain as this goal, like I have to have 10 duplexes. And so once I hit that goal, that's when I decided to expand and say, you know what? I want bigger units, like four units, six units, eight units. So that's pretty much what all I focus on now is anything that's five units or higher. But you've decided to kind of hold on to those duplex or tries versus scaling up. Yeah, I'm kind of like Buffett, you know, it's like my whole, <laughs> my whole period is forever. So. Gotcha. And they all cash flow and it's just, once you get them dialed in, they're pretty easy to manage. So, Corey, being in the financial industry, what do you advise your clients to do? You know, it depends on the client and their goals. If someone, I mean, the stock market is a stock market. And I think too many people, along with advisors, they try to beat the market. And I find that kind of like Buffett, you know, he once, he's mentioned that part of his estate plan is, He's going to advise the uh, trustee of his estate that you, whoever inherits his money outside of, you know, giving away the Berkshire Hathaway. But for personal estate purposes, put all your money, 90% in the SP 500 index, the other 10% in, you know, 10-year treasuries. And so my thought is, you know, Buffett's saying you can't beat the market, you know, then uh, maybe you should listen to the guy. And so my approach, and when I tell most people, going back to your original question, is that rather than fight the market through stock picking, dividend investing, whatnot, you know, buy the market, diversify like crazy, try to find the cheapest asset classes that you can find, and then just let the market do the heavy lifting for you. Now, on the flip side, if you have the time, um, you've got the bug, you want to do something bigger to leverage your returns, then I've got a number of clients I've helped, helped out on the real estate end. In fact, I got one guy that he went crazy and now he's got like 45 units and he's just crushing it. You know, I mean, he went from probably had a started with a portfolio with me for like 250,000. And now his, his now he's like a multimillionaire because the real estate has dwarfed his uh, returns, you know, on his investment portfolio. <clears throat> and clearly that's because of leverage, you know, leverage is probably one. I think. When you look at real estate and leverage, it's one of the few places where you can leverage something and it's not as risky as in, you know, let's say buying stocks on margin, being a hedge fund, using a ton of leverage there or so on. Do you manage any of these properties for your clients? Um, no, it's because of the rules in Minnesota, you have to be an actual real estate broker to manage properties. So I just manage my own portfolio. Gotcha. And then I just kind of 
give my clients advice on the sidelines on how to like find tenants, deal with uh, vacancies, maintenance, repairs, so on. So you have this large portfolio of of units. Do you have a goal of passive income or net worth or a number of doors you're trying to hit in the future? Yeah, it's it's been evolving over the years. So when I first started, it was my goal was ten units, and then it went to twenty units. You know, and then I thought, okay, if I could have a hundred thousand in rents, that'd be kind of cool. You know, just gross rents. And then after um, I hit that, I was just like, I mean, because I, I I grew to a million so quick, it took like probably eight years from when I started. And then after that, I'm like, you know what? It'd be really neat to have a million dollars in rents. So that was my last goal. So today, uh, the goal is simply to. Right now, the current goal is to optimize the portfolio, make uh, make it just run even better, more efficient, keep the expenses down, and then longer range, I'll probably exchange into bigger properties like a hundred unit or two hundred unit. The, the drawback to where I live is there's not a lot of deal flow like that, and so I'll have to go like out of state and find something, you know, that's going to work better. Do you think you'll ever sell off all these units or your big portfolio and put it into, you know, say a S and P five hundred index fund like like Warren Buffett suggests? That's a tough one because it would probably be the dumbest thing I could ever do from a tax standpoint. Um, I mean, my my concept is basically defer taxes till you die, and then get the step up in basis. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my thought is probably the best way, and this is one of my other goals to diversify, will be simply just take more and more of the cash flow from the real estate and keep adding it to my global portfolio. I mean, I'm 100% invested in stocks outside of the real estate. And that'll probably be the best way for me to diversify. Let me ask you about about your income as much as you're comfortable with. How has that changed through the years? Obviously, it must have been hard initially out of college as you were working on commission. But maybe talk about how that's grown and then how much real estate has played a part in that. Um, Basically, you know, when you start your own financial advisory practice, it's just brutal. You're always broke. You're building up your clientele. So income was extremely low in the beginning. I would say... I mean, probably in a really good year, I probably made 60000 in uh, self-employment income. And so as the real estate started growing, it pretty much completely dwarfed you know, my financial advisory income. So at this point, now I'm at, I'm at the point where you know, I take a salary from my financial advisory business this year has been obviously really good, but um, what I like about the real estate is with uh, depreciation, uh, deduction, being that I'm considered a professional um, investor, I get the full-blown tax deduction, so it completely offsets all my W-2 wages that I take from my company. So I'm able to keep my tax bracket down to like probably like a 3% effective rate between Fed and state. So at this point, I honestly don't know what my income is. I mean, I just 
the money comes in and it's great. I reinvest a lot. Of it. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I mean, it's just bizarre if I do a loan application for like something stupid like a credit card. It's just like, what's your income? And I'm like, well, add back depreciation, blah blah blah, and it's totally, it's it's not normal. So, put do you know way. what your rental income is for those <laughs> units? Yeah, right now I just hit my my uh, my big goal, which I said about ten years ago. So total rental income, I just broke one million and seventeen thousand as of year to date. So wow, good for you. Yeah, by next year because I've got, I just bought another building that I got to turn around. But I should easily hit uh, one point one million on two thousand eighteen. Wow, I'm curious. I want to go back to you self managing these. So. I mean, that's a lot of work, 120 units to self-manage while you're still working. Is, do you consider it a full-time job as a financial advisor or is that more, I don't know, 20, 30 hours a week or how much time yeah, do you spend you on see, each? I mean, originally the financial advisor and growing the business, it was like literally 50 hours, 60 hours a week. And then as I started adding in the real estate, I was literally working two jobs. So then I was getting up to 60, 70 hours a week. It was just nuts. It's like classic, you know, Silicon Valley startup. But as uh, as the portfolio started to snowball, that's where I discovered once it kind of what I called the flip flop happened, where my re- real estate was making way more than my financial advisory business. That's where I was able to kind of cut back a little bit on the financial advisory stuff, and now I'm like, I'm like super selective on who I take on as clients. I want to make sure they're going to be a good fit with my philosophy. And as a result of that, I can probably easily run the financial advisory with under, you know, 30 hours a week or less. So, sure. And then it sounds like a lot running 120 units, but once you get your properties dialed in and you rent to the right type of tenants, it's actually, it's, it's pretty simple, especially if you have a lot of automations in place, you know, like, I bought the software that's a typical property manager would use. It's called Appfolio. And this is the same type of software that people use to run, you know, 10,000 units. Yeah. And so it just makes my life so much easier. Everything from leasing to collecting rents to accounting, all the tenants pay online. I don't have to go to the bank anymore, which is just huge, you know. I mean, these are like first world problems. Like, oh my God, I have to go to the bank and make a stupid deposit. I hate <laughs> bank. You know, it's just like, really, I have it so tough. <laughs> have you used the same team for, um, for all your purchases and sales or has no, it not really been consistent? It hasn't been consistent. I've got, it's really frustrating because I'm in a kind of a, I'm in a small market. I mean, population is a little over 100,000 and they're just, there's not like a single go-to broker, you know, like if you go to a bigger market, let's say, you know, Dallas or, or you know, Austin, where you are, and, um, New York City, I can never buy it. Um, sorry about that. So, All right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's not like a, a go-to broker that has all the, you know, the big multifamily listings. And so I've literally had to just piece it together because um, there's no specialists up here. And in their defense, if I were a broker trying to sell commercial, you know, residential apartment buildings, 
you couldn't make a living because there's just not enough inventory out there and not enough deal flow. So most of these guys are like residential style, you know, like four units or less or single family homes. Gotcha. <clears throat> you mentioned that you don't take on new clients and unless, you know, they kind of agree with your philosophy. What What's that philosophy? Uh, basic philosophy is a client comes to me and you, if they come to me and say, I want to make a killing in the market, I need a return that's 15 or 20% a year. I just tell them they're the wrong fit. You know, if someone's looking to grow and preserve their wealth and they'll accept what I call the market return, which I, you can easy, easily dial in a market return. It's anywhere from eight to 12% a year over the long term, not consistently every year. You know, things are going to bounce around a lot. Those are typically my best clients. And what are your what I are mean, your someone fees? Someone up and says, "What do you think about Bitcoin?" Right away, I'm just like, "You're the wrong fit." So, <laughs> and and what are your fees? Client in versus... California, she's my canary in the coal mine, and it, she's amazing. I mean, she's one of my best clients, but periodically she'll call me out of the blue during different market periods, and the latest one was. My daughter just invested in Bitcoin. What do you think? And I'm like, okay, we're definitely at the top of the market right now because every bull market is defined by some kind of crazy speculation. So you go to you know the dot com crisis was obviously you know tech stocks, and then up to 2007 it was housing, you know, and anyone could buy real estate. And today it's getting pretty frothy now that we got. Bitcoin kind of defining things. <clears throat> uh, my previous question was, what are your fees as a financial advisor or what, what are the standard fees in the industry? Uh, standard fees run anywhere from one and a half percent all up to two percent, depending on what type of advisor you're working with. My goal is to have a fee of one percent or less, depending on the size of the account. And that's on their total portfolio, their total holdings, right? Total holdings. But then this is where it gets a little cagey with financial advisors. They'll say, oh, my fee is 1%. But then they put you in products where the underlying fees, let's say for mutual funds or alternative assets, are one5 to 2%. So all in, you'll see these advisors, let's say they quote 1%, but the total fee underlying the portfolio could be anywhere from two to three percent so being that i'm using um what i call asset class funds where our fees are two tenths of a percent or less typically i can get in all in for like an average client let's say of two hundred fifty thousand. um the, let's say a half a million they're going to be paying like one and a quarter all in once you get up to a million or higher you're going to be definitely below you know one percent so let's say 0.75 or so all in this may be a dangerous question to ask a financial advisor but would you recommend people using a financial advisor when would it when would that be useful and maybe when is that not not so necessary you know there's a great book out there it's called the investment answer it was written by dan goldie <clears throat> and uh, this guy named gordon murray and they actually they break down investing to five simple questions. And one of the questions is, do you need a financial advisor? And I would say probably 25% of the population doesn't need a financial advisor at all. These are the do-it-yourselfers. They study the markets. Um, they have a really strong discipline 
or strategy or they don't let their emotions get in the way of investing. Those are the people that they're just, they're stupid to pay for a financial advisor. It's like you're just wasting your money. Um, for, let's say, 75% of the population that just doesn't want to bother with it, doesn't want to, you know, deal with building up a portfolio, rebalancing, tax loss harvesting, going through their tax return, trying to find the maximum deductions, um, financial planning, estate planning. Those are the people I think truly benefit from it. You kind of mentioned one of your mistakes was maybe starting too small initially. What other mistakes would you say you've made through through your investments? Um, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, let's go back to the stock market. I used to... Um, I used to believe in active fund management, you know, hiring the stock pickers. They could do all the heavy lifting, you know, trusting their past performance. Big mistake. I used to believe in hedge funds. Big mistake. Okay. Uh, during the, the tech bubble, I had a lot of friends in uh, Silicon Valley, a lot of clients in San Francisco. They were giving me some great stock tips. Big mistake. All right. Um, going on the real estate side, I would say the biggest mistake was not jumping into multifamily, like five units or greater, a lot sooner. I think I kind of wasted my time, you know, sticking with my goal of these little duplex properties. And then the other one was not venturing out of my market, which is, I like, I like my market. My kids are here, you know, works out well for my lifestyle, but if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have moved to Texas during the real estate crash, Florida, Tennessee, you name it, and would have taken down, you know, maybe a 50-unit or 100-unit property. Last question here on your on your real estate holdings. Do all of these still have a mortgage or are most of them paid off or, or what's the now, situation there? I'm a big fan of mortgages just because I like the leverage component. So all my properties have mortgages. I try to keep my um, debt to income ratio down to like 65% or less. What kind of advice would you give to a 25 or 30 year old who's trying to, to put together a deal maybe for their first five unit or six unit or eight plex or something? How, how, how would you advise them and what would you tell them in terms of maybe getting the down payment for that? Um, you know, I wish more kids, I should, I, I feel like an old, the old guy now, which I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was talking to a guy today and he's like, yeah, you know, I got pre-poof for the house. I set him up with, you know, one of my mortgage guys and um, his name's Jeremy. And I'm like, Jeremy, I go, if you could just go out there, find a fourplex, you, you have this incredible opportunity. It's like the golden ticket, you know, from Willy Wonka, you know. You can go 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 out there get an FHA loan, which is first time homebuyer loan, and they'll loan up to a four unit property for like nothing down. It's like three percent down or less. You can live in one unit, rent out the other three because you're in a four unit property. You cash flow, and it's like it's your first property. You don't have to buy this big house, whatever. So you buy that. And then after a year or two, you move out and then go get the house you need. So that'd be my number one advice to a young person. If they're in a market where it makes sense, um, you know, go out, buy a fourplex. 
don't do a duplex like me. Go get the fourplex first. And see if you like being a landlord. If you don't like it, hire a property management company. It's not like you have to do everything yourself. And then just let the tenants pay after mortgages. I mean, it's that's our level of mortgages. All my tenants are working hard to send money to uh, you know Wells Fargo and Bank of America and you name it, commercial banks. So, Corey, where can people find more about you? Um, I got a kind of I got a couple of sites going. My uh, investment advisory practice. If you just go to uh, the website retirement pilots kind of like airplane pilot so retirementpilot.com or if you want to go check out this blog i started it's kind of a work in progress i don't it's not monetized whatsoever it's just kind of a hobby that is a 10 to a million.com so it's number 10 t-e-n and then two the letter two or the number two and then million.com so 10 to million.com and then I also have a clarity.fm consulting um, call where people can call and I can give my tips on real estate. So Awesome. Is that that blog, is that 10 properties to a million in rent? Was that the inspiration behind that? Exactly. That's how awesome. I got started. I read this crazy book by John Schaub that basically said if you bought 10 properties, you'd be a millionaire. And he was right. So it works. Good stuff. Awesome, Corey, with a net worth of two point seven million and rising. Appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Corey. To be here. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.